Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the RDU On Stage podcast. Hallelujah. I'm Warren Van Hamert, your host. And on today's episode, I'm chatting with Moses T. Alexander Green. According to the New York Times, the National Black Theater Festival is one of the most historic and culturally significant events in the history of black theater. The event brings together black theater companies from around the world and celebrates the contributions of African-American artists. This year, the festival chose 25 plays to represent the best in black theater from the United States, Europe, the Caribbean, and Africa, and one of those plays selected was the gospel musical drama Pooled, written by New York City native and City of Raleigh Arts Commissioner Moses T. Alexander Green. Here he is talking about the healing powers of Pooled and what it means for our community to have this work validated on a national stage. One of my favorite Bible stories is on the Pool of Bethesda, and it says that at a certain time, certain season, an angel would go down and trouble the waters, and whoever stepped in first was immediately made well of whatever the condition they had. And so, if you look at the story, only one person gets a chance to step in, And the pool is at a place called the Five Porches of Bethesda, where the Bible says you have the sick, the lame, and all manner of people who are dealing with issues. So if Lauren is the only one who gets a chance to step in, do you take that chance? Maybe I'm just reading too much into this, but I feel like this is a little metaphorical because I feel like our country is broken at the moment. Do you feel that it's metaphorical? Absolutely. There's such dissension about who deserves to be at the pool who has a right to the pool. And the pool can represent anything, education, access, uh, we talk about equity, inclusion, it, all kinds of rights. We talk about healthcare, who has a right to it, who has access to it. And then um, it's divisive because we think, well, these the have should have it and the have not should. So I absolutely think it's metaphoric. The second song that you hear, I wrote called Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. And I think it is, it is a cry, my, my religious beliefs, it's a cry that in these times where we're getting, when we are really seeing the morals or the lack thereof of our leaders, regardless of race, I think it's a cry for God's mercy. And again, uh, there's a line in there, if it's inscribed on the Statue of Liberty, 
give me. You're tired, you're poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. So that wasn't just a gift from France back in the day. We still should be saying, give me your tired, your poor. So when you talk about children being um, separated from their families at the border, you've got to cry for God's mercy. When you think about people who don't have health care in the richest nation in the world, how do you not cry for mercy? How do you not cry, God, give us mercy so that we all see that there is a place, a loving God has a place for everyone at the pool for what they're looking for. So I, have, I absolutely think it's a metaphor. And now you're going to the National Black Theater Festival as one of the 25 best, best plays. Black, yes. And I got to give you more. The best plays in the U.S., of the Caribbean, of Europe, and of Africa. Talk to me about what this opportunity, what this gift means for you and for these artists going with you and for our city. What it means for a first-time black playwright is that my work has found a validation on a national and an international stage. And that hopefully other companies will want to bring the cast to do the work or will want to do the work themselves. It really is one of those, I don't want to say life-changing, but it has the potential to be a life-changing moment that changes the, tra the trajectory of my life. What it means for the artists is that there is a place not just to do theater, but there is a place where our narratives can land. And so for the actors, they get a chance to see that not only do we do good theater, but we do theater that reflects the diaspora. People want the gift that God has in you. So all of your training, all of the work has landed. For the city, I don't know if they get it yet. But for the city of Raleigh, we are representing, and I can say this um, as a city of Raleigh Arts Commissioner, we know that the arts... If you look at our um, artistic literacy, the framework, the theoretical framework, we know that the arts are essential to human existence. This says to the city of Raleigh, keep cultivating black art. Keep cultivating the art of the marginalized and the underrepresented. I say this often. If the city is 29%, 28% African American, then we should be seeing our narratives on stages here. And so to the city... You are producing world-class art right here. Can we take that conversation now to a national level? People of color are vastly underrepresented in the theater, so I guess my question for you is how do we move that needle forward? I created, I'm the visionary behind something here in the city, which we think is historic and which we think has not been done in the state. It's called Nia Kumba. And I partnered with North Carolina Theater and the City of Raleigh Arts Commission, and in the first year, I said, hey, I am seeing as a commissioner, I'm hearing all these excuses about what diversity looks like on the board. I'm looking at all these things. I have an idea. So I created, I envisioned Nia Kumba. And so what we do, it's a special audition. It is the same weekend as the African American Cultural Festival downtown. And, you know, it would be against the law just to have an exclusive audition. But we make sure that there is focused outreach so that actors... Don't, they don't just audition for Moses' company, because I didn't have a company when I created it. Would you believe that 30 
community and professional theaters from Raleigh, Cape Fear comes. This year, I believe we'll get uh, Winston-Salem as a result of being there. And what these actors can do, these actors, actresses, performers, singers, they audition for all 30, uh, 30 plus of these professional community theaters. What that does is it allows the artistic directors to go back when they know that the talent is here. Then when they're planning their season, it takes away the excuse of, well, we couldn't find the talent. I have created the avenue, the platform, the vehicle for you to identify the talent, and it's working. I don't think that the onus is on people of color to write and, and produce. The issue is, will those theaters find value in our stories? I grew up in New York, and every year we went to go see the radio City Music Rockets. Hall, Rockettes. And I just remember this moment of sitting next to my mother and we're looking at all the Rockettes year after year and we're trying to figure out which one is black. When you have that moment as a kid, when you don't see representation of yourself in theater, you turn on a commercial, you don't see yourself there, you turn on TV shows, Max Robinson on ABC World News Tonight, he's the first black anchor. When you're searching for yourself, it changes you. I don't think that many of those are the great white way and then even what that looks like on the regional and local level, they've never had to search for themselves. They've never had to search for their stories to be told. And so what it means is you've got to have people at the table. You've got to have women at the table. You've got to have people of all ethnicities at the table when you're planning your season. That is how it happens. There is no dearth of creativity of stories for African-Americans, people of the African diaspora, or any ethnicity. It is who is going to get behind them and produce it, and produce the work, and not bully the work. How has the play evolved? What did you learn in the first workshop, in the first concert version? Okay. How has it changed from that to what you're going to be presenting next week? In the Reader's Theater presentation, it was nice, it was short, but it did not include my personal story. I was dealing with trauma, but not dealing with my own trauma. By the time we got to the concert reading, we had included a song that I wrote, which is The Showstopper by now. Wrote that back in 2007. And rather than bury the story, the show opens with Delson, my character's need for the pool and why he's driven. That opened it up. Pooled is born out of different vignettes of people that I met and different stories that I just heard and I just felt like needed to be told. We now have a phenomenal story, which is about colorism in the black community. How there still is this perception that lighter complected uh, people of the African diaspora and throughout the world, it happens in Asian cultures and Latinx cultures, how lighter complected or more European features are praised over darker features. That wasn't in the original one. I've infused more subtle elements of black culture. My grandmother, uh, uh, who is uh, portrayed there, things that my grandmother would, would be doing, which, you know, which may be sitting on the porch and greasing someone's scalp, or the other grandmother would be sitting on the porch and um, when she had moved from New York City to Long Island, she would just sit on the porch and she couldn't 
uh, believe how quiet it was. And so she would just get her favorite meal, some cantaloupe, and just sit there and take it in. And then what that represented, though, was she also fed the community. So the community knew you could get fed there. So you want to see a lot more interaction between the communities versus these silos. I think that's how it's been infused, and that's how it's different. You talked about putting your own story into this play. Yeah. How personal is it? How autobiographical is this story? My character has elements of Moses there. The specific trauma that was hidden in my third book that uh, I told you the play changed when I added it was dealing with my sexual molestation and what that means to be male and own that, what that means to be black and male and own that. You know, I've been open with it since 2004 uh, when my first book came out, but it was buried. In book number three, I owned it, but again, I buried it so that you might miss it. In Pooled, it comes out, and there's not a night when I don't think people are surprised, whether it's by Delson, the character's courage, and they're wondering, well, how much of that is Moses? I did not want to be classified as a gospel writer or for my play to be a gospel play. And so I struggled with that. But who I am and what I'm steeped in kept creeping out. How much of seeing the journey of this play has contributed to your own healing process? I knew that I was okay before we did pooled. My mom and dad, we had had the conversations regarding my molestation, but pooled in this process has, uh, more than being okay, because okay is a word that I don't like, pooled has settled for me that the most painful parts of our existences, if we give them to God in the process of time, not only does the healing come, but you're empowered to give freedom and the way to freedom to somebody else. I'll never forget telling the story. I can still see world premiere, the Saturday 8 o'clock show. My sister is, my sister's, I can see her in my right eye when I'm talking about the impact of what it means and how you feel the weight of it. I can see her wiping tears away. I can see an ex-girlfriend front row with her mother not understanding what touch can symbolize, how that can trigger someone. And so to be free to tell that story, not just for Moses, because Moses had dealt with it, but to embody that as Delson, it's a privilege. I will be honest with you, the other night, for the first time that I can remember, I felt fear. I was just like, are you stupid? Why are you, te why are you telling this story at the National Black Theater Festival, like 60,000 people to be there, you've already sold, like, what are you doing? I felt, I felt fear for like 32 seconds. And I was just like, I'm good. What do you hope people get out of this at the National Black Theater Festival when they see this piece? My personal belief is that many of the cancers and the health challenges that are, that are seemingly peculiar to African diaspora communities is based on trauma that has not been dealt with. I would almost get emotional 
the things that in our culture we haven't been allowed to talk about, the things that children have seen, the things that mothers had to do, and they had to stuff it. At the National Black Theater Festival, it is my hope that everyone finds a pathway to exhale for the first time, perhaps, and then realize that they're not alone, and then realize that the waters are troubled right now. The next level of healing is available. For black people in particular, I want them to know that, that, that they are resilient, but now is the time to let it go so that they can be around for their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren without the weight of the secrets, without the weight of the things that you've held on because, and I don't know other communities as well as I know the black community, there are certain things that just stay in the house. And maybe that's with the Italian, maybe that's with Irish, maybe that's with Latinxi, but what happens in the house stays in the house. Well, we're living in a time where there's so much trauma on a daily basis. There's bullying on social media, it's in the news, it's in the country, it's in the highest office. I'm answering the question, but I'm gonna veer left a little bit. What's going on in the White House is not surprising to many African-Americans, after 200 years of slavery, after another 99 years of um, Jim Crow, which is legalized separation, legalized uh, years of saying, you're not enough, you're not enough. This place is not for you. Trauma is just not what happens to the body. Trauma, th 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 there is research that says trauma is physical, it's mental, it's emotional. I want people to breathe through the trauma, and then I want them to go get help. I want them to find a licensed mental health practitioner. I believe in God. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe in him. But a good therapist can help make sense of the holes that are in you that a loving God allowed to happen. That's my hope. It's significant to me, but I, I feel like I, I need to ask this. Is it significant that this is happening, that you're making your national debut in the South. My mother's paternal side entered the United States through Somerset Plantation, which is in Cresswell, North Carolina. My father has six generations, at least seven generations, dating pre-slavery in Beaufort and Pitt counties. Not only is it significant that I'm being premiered on the national stage in the South, but in a state where I have roots back to our family's entranceway in these United States. I think that is the biggest honor, that ancestors who prayed and cried and who were whipped and who were sold and who were not, I would get emotional, who it was against the law for them to read and to write. Their great, 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 great grandson wrote something that the culture is saying God bless you, son. Nothing like it. The National Black Theater Festival opens July 29th and runs for six days in Winston-Salem. All three festival performances of Pooled, however, have already sold out. I'll be reporting from the festival starting August 1st, so be sure to follow at RDU on stage on Facebook or Instagram so you don't miss any of the highlights. In addition, I'll put links to the National Black Theater Festival website and the Pooled Production Company's social media page in the episode notes.
If you like what you've heard today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or visit us online at www.rduonstage.com. Here's Lynette Barber and the cast of Pooled. Until next week, I'll see you at the theater. Hi, Poodle Pinder! Yeah. Uh-huh.